welcome to Slayerfest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and joining me is my lovely co-host, founder of Queer Media Matters and Fairy Gay Mother. Dana Pickley. Hi, Ian. Hi, Dana. It's been well, a minute. Hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a minute since you co-hosted with me. It has been a minute. It has been a minute, and I want to thank you so much for always bringing me on for the most traumatic episodes. <laughs> It's never, I, I Dana, it's- will you co-host Beer Bad? Or Dana, will you co-host a Halloween episode? It's always like, Dana, will you relive your formative year trauma with me? I, I mean, it says something about our favorite show that like, I'm always like, if there's, you know, it's about, if it's like Willow centric and a lesbian episode, I got to make sure I have like queer ladies on. And those happen to be like the most fucking traumatic episodes of this show. Yeah, I think. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> But enough about me. Uh, our first guest is a writer, comedian, and aspiring TikTok star. She is Rosa Escondone. We also have our Gen Z representative who will be certainly making sure you know how young she is throughout the episode. Liv, it's me, hot and young, um, here to represent the Gen Z Buffy Twitter stands. And, you know, <laughs> Liv, some bad is, takes. Liv is the original Red Album, where yes. so true. Ian and I are. Taylor's version. <laughs> wait, wait, wouldn't she be? What the- does that mean? I think you flipped those. <laughs> I think right? it would like, be no, no, because remember, she was like 22 when she did that album. Oh, back and then, now she right. has all of this like experience and emotional, uh, you know, baggage to unpack now that she's in her 30s. So oh, that's true. fair. That's fair. Yeah. What what Dana's getting at is we are old and Liv is young. Um, I, Rosa, I have I'm not li- said one thing about my age, and now I think it's going to be like a guessing game. Like I shouldn't say anything. Like ooh, it does not. <laughs> just to be clear, I'm not. I don't think I'm. So I get called old on Twitter daily compared <laughs> to like the to the fandom. So this is my one time to get to pretend. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Rosa. Would you? So we are here to discuss Buffy Season 7's A Killer in Me. But before we get there, Rosa, would you like to give us your Buffy origin? Yeah, because I was actually thinking about this, like how I was going to say it. Um, mm-hmm. And I I guess I watched Buffy. Uh, I, so, I, oh no, I have to say my age. All right, I, I messed up. <laughs> um, so I was born in 93 and I started watching when I was around 10. So it was probably when the seventh season was on air um, or like oh, right around that. there. So I didn't actually watch any of it um, live because uh, I watched it completely through Netflix DVDs sent in the mail to my mom. Oh, wow. Um, Iconic. <laughs> A hot choice. Uh, and no, my um, my mother actually was the reason that, because I think 10 is a little bit young. I think I was probably like 10 or 11, which feels a little young for Buffy. I don't know, maybe because just she's in high school at the beginning. It feels like that's when you're like supposed to be watching it, but yeah. like a, a little bit closer to her age. I, I started watching young and I think that's because my mother is a queer woman and she pretty much watched anything that had any queer representation in it. Like- yeah. We watched like truly everything with it, like the, the second season of The OC together, like like literally like <laughs> figuring out like, like oh, there's mom. a queer woman on this. We're gonna watch <laughs> all of it together. Uh, wh- oh, what? <laughs> Said I feel like I'm your mom. <laughs> yeah, you're my mom. That's fine. You can be. It's uh, I'm not against mommy, it. Mommy, sorry, mommy, mommy, sorry, sorry. Yeah, we're both young. Anyway, um, 
No, but I, I watched it all with her. I actually figured out that I hadn't watched the seventh. Like I watched seasons one through six. Six bummed me out so much that I actually, I think I put it down for like two years before I watched number uh, seven, <laughs> which was very, since this is from seven, I realized like all of like one through five, I've seen one million times. I have seen six and seven exactly once is what I realized. <laughs> um. So yeah, I watched a lot of the, I, I watched a lot of reruns, uh, on logo TV. So you got yeah. anything that's too spicy cut out, which I loved. Um, uh, because back in the mid 2000s, sorry, I, I am a, a, a gay elder. Uh, everything <laughs> logo was just reruns of queer as folk and Buffy after a certain point in the night. So mm-hmm. I watched a lot of it that way. So non-sequentially. Okay. Um, Liv, would you like to give us your Buffy origin? I would love to. Um, (laughs) Basically, I kind of always knew of Buffy because I was very much a Tumblr teen in high school. So like Mm -hmm. in the days of like the super hulak, whatever, like Buffy was in that periphery. So like I kind of knew what it was, but I and I loved Sarah Michelle Gellar, but like from the Scooby-Doo live action movies as a kid. (laughs) Um, So like I I don't know why I just didn't get around to watching it. I, I I. when I was in high school, even though I would see it, I was like, oh, whatever. It kind of seems interesting. Um, yeah. But one of my best friends that I met on Tumblr in 2012 when I was like 15, and I'm still really close with today. His name is Declan. He was always a huge fan of it. He had older siblings, so he watched it from like childhood. He had the Once Worth Feeling CD. So he was always trying to get me to watch it. And end of summer 2020, I went and we were hanging out at his house and we were playing some horrible Buffy Xbox game, um, oh, yeah. like very stoned. And I was like, I don't know what about it. I was like, why am I having fun? Like, I should watch the show. And so I went home and turned on, like, turned it on on Hulu, which, what a sad first watching experience. The Hulu quality <laughs> is so bad. It Anyways. Is so bad. Yeah. It's so bad. Um, But I was, like, instantly obsessed. Like, binged it so fast. But I had the same thing where after, I like, I finished season six and I didn't watch it for, like, three months I, I couldn't touch it like I was just sad um depressed right. <laughs> unwell in the head but I joined Buffy Twitter because I saw oh my god there's like an active Twitter fandom for this and I was like okay I might as well just like watch it because it's all gonna be spoiled for me anyway so I should just finish it to like talk about it with people because I was tweeting things like whatever happened to Miss Kitty and people were like did you finish the show and I was like oh <laughs> well, yeah no yeah, don't, don't that's a bad <laughs> <Yeah>. subject <laughs> <laughs> They're like, it It comes up. I'm like, okay. So I, and I have watched like so many shows with, I am like, you know, like Rose's mother, love shows with queer women. And I've watched so many bad things. So many, so many bad things below her mouth comes to mind. Um, Ooh, yeah, that's a rough also, one. <laughs> so bad. But also good things where I love, but for somehow like the Tara and Willow relationship like became instantly my favorite sapphic ship. And it's crazy because it's, the like first one in TV and like there's been so many since, but I genuinely think that there's some great ones and not say everything, but so many are written in ways that are very um, like trying to put a, make a point or like the whole story is about coming out or things that where it just doesn't like, I can't just be like, Oh, I've had those moments in a relationship. It feels like a very like straight man writing something and not that a lot of straight people didn't write Tillo, but yeah. At least how it was done. It really like hit something in me where it's like, oh, this is going to be an obsession. And it has <laughs> been. And here we are. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, Liv, I remember the first time I liked when I, you started tweeting about us after the Amber Benson interview that Adina and I did on the podcast. I remember you like showing me there was like a Reddit thread about it. And that was like the first time and last time I read a Reddit thread about my podcast. Because <laughs> I remember someone in the comments like, the guy who hosts this isn't even a real Buffy fan. Like he doesn't even know oh, what he's talking God. about. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm done. I don't need to read this. <laughs> well, I, I'm... I'm the kind of person that like I go I've had like three big fandoms in my life and I've had like you know other shows I watch or whatever but it was like American Horror Story for Harry Potter versus a kid then American Horror Story then Stranger Things Mm. and then it went into Buffy like it takes something those are like the major which where it like consumes my whole life I buy like the outfits like it gets to the point and so when I get that into something like I'm reading the fan fiction I'm watching I'm listening to the podcast and like yours was obviously my favorite and I just like instantly was like I love these queers (laughs) oh shucks um well so we are here to talk the killer in me which uh features heavily willow and kennedy which i know a lot of people uh feel some way about dana i remind me how you feel about kennedy um so love the actor um and you know i haven't watched this episode in a really long time because it's traumatic um yeah and I, you know, I really had a lot more respect for, I guess, Kennedy's, like, just whole, like, chutzpah, you know, mm-hmm. her whole, like, she's got a lot of moxie, that kid. But also, like, oh, my God, she felt so young. And <laughs> Willow felt so old. <laughs> I was like, it, oh, you know, God. You know, but I, I, I think that she's really good in this episode, the character herself. Mm-hmm. I would I would agree with that. Um, Liv, give us your Kennedy. I know you don't hate her as much as a lot of other people do. No, I don't. And honestly, like I have haven't done a full like Buffy. I've watched a lot of episodes, but I have not touched season seven since I finished it. And like it to me, it's my personal like least favorite season. Um, mm. And I, like I just stuff wasn't memorable. So I made my two friends, my closest like friends from Buffy Twitter, Alex and Char, like watch this with me on <laughs> so we could just do it together. And like I had the same thing where I was like, okay, I'm not like hating Kennedy throughout this, but it just like certifies in my mind, and we can talk about this later, but that she really like is a fine character. I just wish that she wasn't pushed so hard to be a romantic interest. Like you know, this is something that wasn't possible to the writers' heads in 2003. Like maybe Willow can have a gay friend. Like, maybe there can be another gay person on the cast that she doesn't actively having, like, have to be having sex with. Because I just, re- like, I when I could think about it that way and, like, isolate some of the scenes as, like, a friendship, I was like, okay. Like, I, I kind of like her as a person. I just don't like her being this relationship. Hmm. Fair. Okay. Uh, Rosa, give me your Kennedy hot take. Um, my Kennedy hot take is, so I think Buffy is a show that as I got older, um, I had a lot of issues with like the romance plots, um, mm-hmm. that I didn't have when I was younger, but you also have to remember when I was in, uh, high school, I was dating like a 20 year old, um, because <sighs> there's a lot and like, or now I guess uh, what we had like a four year age difference. So I was like 14. He was 18. That was like my first, what, like, so like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Are you relating to all too well a lot? Yeah, no, I have a real all too well kind of vibe, but Taylor's version, not the first one. Um, I met Jack Gyllenhaal at a party once and I'm I'm not going to say anything, but this week I would. But my point is, um, no, my point is that I think as like I grew older and I realized like that some of like the flirtations I had when I was younger were probably like a little inappropriate. Um, 
I do think that like, here's the thing. It's all vampire books or like movies or anything vampire because you have to have a a man who's a billion years old and like an 18 year old girl or whatever. (laughs) And you kind of like get really used to it. Like where you're like, okay, yeah, Lestat's a billion and this chick's like 19, sure, whatever. Right. Like you kind of have to just like have that going on at all times. Um, This one is a weird one because I think what my issue is with Kennedy is like, we kind of let it happen for the vampires because it's so genre, right? Like, it's so like, okay, yeah, Angel's a billion. Who cares? Like, you have to kind of leave that at the door to even, like, understand vampire fiction. It's weird when they've introduced just uh, people in this with just, like, a not great age difference because the potentials are supposed to be, what, 15? And Willow is, like, at this point, like, 21, 22. Well, wait, years. So, I think we established right? that, that don't we establish that Kennedy's the oldest of the group yes. though isn't she 19 They do she's supposed to be 19 like either 18 or 19 because she is the oldest but then I thought okay. in this episode later they reference they the girls are driving and I was like oh wait so maybe they are older than I think Well they're right? Sunnydale's California you can drive when you're 15 16 Oh you I can I think okay. they're supposed to be a range of ages too yes. but they like make point to be like don't worry you guys Willow's not a predator Right. Yeah. yeah she just, like, Willow's twenty two, I believe, and Kennedy's nineteen at this point. Yeah. Okay. I maybe I just missed that she's nineteen. It, she's written like a fifteen year old. Is agreed. I think maybe my issue. Yeah, she, she is maybe it's not immature. <laughs> yeah, and she's in a group of women because I do think that like, and maybe this is getting too large outside the episode. That the potentials are one of the great wastes of this season for me. Yeah. They introduce yeah. all these girls and then they give a bunch Agreed. of them nothing to do. Like truly, like I can't even tell you what Rona is about. Like there's so many <laughs> of them and like half of them don't have personalities. So I think the big issue is they've written all of them to be 15. And then someone was like, is this gross? And then they changed one. Cause I can't imagine <laughs> someone would write a 19 year old character like that. Also she gets drunk in this episode or like has drinks in this episode. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. T- the it, there's a lot list. of stuff where it's just like, okay, <laughs> what? I, I have a question, Ian. Maybe you know this because you sure. are a Buffy expert. Um, <laughs> how long has it been since Tara was murdered, <sighs> and now that's where I'm. That's where I struggle. I I don't think so it's I, been a year. I I was gonna say I would say a year, but I do think the problem is. That the show encounters, especially in this season, like season five and three did it really well where it was like certain episodes did take place like immediately after the other, but then there would be space. This season's really bad at telling us the time frame because it seems like all these episodes are literally one right after the other. So it can't take place that like can't be that big of a time span, but I guess it is. Um so I think we're supposed to assume it's a year, but uh... I get the impression it's more like six to eight months. Oh yeah, and I think that that was starting to like freak Disgusting. me out. But I can't, I can't, I I, I can't prove it. So, mm-hmm. and Kennedy doesn't know. Like, it's not. I don't blame Kennedy for like pursuing a person who she finds interesting and attractive, and like doesn't know that she carries all of this trauma with her. You know. <laughs> you know that's what I. That was a question I had. I wasn't quite sure what Kennedy did and didn't know, um, because. Like, she's not shocked when Willow's like, this is the man I murdered. Like, she's not like, you murdered a man? She's like, oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, but so she does know about that. And, like, she does, has mentioned that, like, Willow goes big bad with powers. Like, she's mentioned that. Um, So I don't know. I was wondering 
about that too. Like I was wondering what she knows about Tara, what she knows about like that. Cause we're not quite clear. They don't really like tell us. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it came off to me that she like knew that something bad happened with Willow, but didn't mm-hmm. know what. And then when they were at the bronze together, having the talk, that's like when she know- finds out who Tara is. So maybe she's like heard the name Tara, like hush tones around, you know, not that and they like, would ever like, show oh. us anyone talking about Tara. Cause why would they do that? <laughs> um, <laughs> but that, like, maybe that's when she gets to put two and two together. Oh, okay. That, like, maybe there was an X, but she doesn't know. But then it's like, oh, okay. I get, mm-hmm. I could see that. Um, this episode, I think, suffers because it was nice. I will say, like, I, again, season seven isn't one I revisit often either. Um, and the same thing. Uh, Liv and Rosa that both of you have said a lot of guests have said this season that like oh I watched season seven like once and then I didn't go back to it so a lot of guests have been like I don't remember when this happened or like you know uh, Cameron Esposito was like I didn't remember Andrew in this season <laughs> um, not, not Andrew <laughs> arguably you could cut Andrew and I'm not <laughs> and I would be thrilled <laughs> y'all are rude oh, I Ian, love ha- Ian ha- has a soft spot for Andrew I do. <laughs> um, but I think they this episode... St- <laughs> no, go on. I, I was just going to say something something mean about Andrew, and I'm not going to no, do t- it. No, say it, say it, say it, say it. <laughs> I think yes. that they gave Xander too much uh, too much growth as a character, and they needed like just like a guy that people could self-insert into as like, I'm the guy who watches Buffy. And I think it's nonsense. I, we didn't need it. <laughs> and I'm gay, but I won't say it. well i will say i think once like when in the beginning of the episode you know they like make sure to tell us it's also very weird that they like talk about the potential girls but we don't see them i mean clearly that's just like a we don't need to pay these actors to stand in the background (laughs) although they do every other episode there's a trivia about that that they actually the budget got slashed in this season and they could literally not pay the girls for this episode that's why they don't show up that makes a lot of sense (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's purely budgetary. <laughs> I do remember hearing that about the finale. Like, I remember hearing that, like, they saved their budget because it was cut. So they saved it all for the finale. And that was why they couldn't get. I mean, I don't know if this is true. I should ask one of the people that I have on from the show. But I remember reading that they apparently did want to have more guest stars in the finale with the first. But they just didn't have the budget to bring anyone else in. It's like a David cardboard cutout of Felicia Day and like half right. episodes. <laughs> Please. <laughs> but so I think this episode just suffers from we finally get like the potentials out of the house. So it's like less crowded, but then they still like it's like they had this one shot. So like, all right, we got to move all of the pieces and all of the like plot threads. We got to give Willow and Kennedy their episode. We got to, you know, complete that Giles storyline of the speculation of him as the first. We got to do the thing with Spike's chip. And we just spend so much time on Spike this season. And I do love Spike. I don't want any fans to get mad at me. I love him. But like, uh, did we need also like we, I felt like they should have done the chip thing when they did the like unbrainwashing him thing, like all at once that way it's done. We don't need to do it. Um, And this just has like, you know, like towards the end, my notes are a little like, okay, I'm just blocking off the Buffy and Spike stuff and the Willow and Kennedy stuff and the Scoobies going to see Giles stuff. Um, I don't know if any of you felt that. Like, I felt like it suffered from, it just had to do too much. And yeah, it felt it like- it was a lot crammed into into one episode and it it does like kind of feel disjointed. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I felt the editing was so stiff. Like, I made a note of that. Like, it felt like they were like, 
exactly what Ian did with his notes. They were like, okay, then we are going to jump to this and this. And usually it flows the multiple storylines, but this was yeah. like A plot, B plot, C plot. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, usually Weird. it does flow. Like the show can do that and it'll flow pretty well. But yeah, this it feels a little clunky. Yeah. I had a specific issue with the spike plot because like it doesn't make any sense. I It felt like they were really <laughs> I like- love <laughs> I it may I, I listen so and this I literally had to Google this because I was like wait they cemented in that that place the, oh, the yeah, place shouldn't exist that. yeah they they're like we cemented it in and it's like the laboratory it's cemented in which it's not it's just there's a vampire and a bunch of people in it who cares anyway and then the other thing is Spike gets out like really quick like when we first see him in the initiative he gets out really quickly like. And so him going back, he's like, I remember this medicine they used to give us. It's like you literally broke out like minutes after being like implanted, like, yeah, which we see in an earlier season. So for me, I really don't like the, th- the I guess it's, it's, it's the B plot, I guess. I really don't like it because it feels like they were like, oh, whoops. And then just like wrote a bunch of stuff that doesn't like flow with. I also don't really care about the initiative. I'm going to be, it's my, it was one. I did not like it when it first showed up. And I thought, I thought that this was such a weird, lazy thing to get to like a cool idea at the end, like at the end of that plot. I think that Buffy getting a decision about what she should do with Spike is like a cool moment, but it felt like they had that idea. And then they were like, okay, well we have to write somehow to get it there in like 20 minutes and i i just think they did a really weird job of it rosa not to contradict you but like i feel like there's something in my brain maybe it's a chip that is telling me that didn't spike Spike and harmony go back there because spike had um kidnapped a, a doctor to remove the chip so wouldn't he have spent more time there or was that somewhere else but he that was that was in the college because it was literally the same set they use Thank you. in this okay. episode. Thank you. Because <laughs> that, well, the it, other it, lab was concreted in. Right. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it is weird. I was thinking that with this, I was like, wow, it's weird if they still even had this set. Because they hadn't used that auditorium since like season five. But it's the same exact set from like Hush and from that episode when Harmony and Spike kidnapped the doctor. Um but I do think in that scene, they put up a wall between the chairs and the like front. So it's maybe supposed to be something else. I don't know. But it's not the initiative. Um, yeah. I just feel like even if it, it it was, like, even if we're supposed to think of that as like initiative stuff, like the way he explains it in this episode where he's like, I remember this, this, and this. It's like, right, do you? Yeah. When did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Don't that was just my thing. Being part of a vampire is photographic memory. so okay so we're gonna try to go into the episode um we get i don't know if you all i mean like we get the like they remind us that giles hasn't touched things right because he asked dawn to get the notebook he they they make sure to say he didn't renew his driver's license so he can't drive um there is a goof earlier in season uh season seven where anya does touch him (laughs) but you know what Going through it this time, I was like, he touches a lot of things. He touches a lot. Um, it's kind of the sixth sense, I I always feel like, where it's like, it's really cool at that moment where you're like, oh, did he do anything? But he like very much did touch a lot of things, <laughs> yes. you know? <laughs> like the only thing he didn't do was, yes, he didn't hug them, which it was weird. And I, Dana, did you, do you remember watching it live when it was like, 
I remember being like, he's going to be the first. Like, oh no. Like, I really did think that's what it was going to be. I thought it was a red herring. I was like, no, they they can't take away Tara, Joyce, and then do this to us. <laughs> I will say, part of me, if they had gotten to that camp and all the like potential slayers had been dead, that would have been a gag. Like, it would have like also cleared up more room in the season. Um, but also, that would have been too grim. I wouldn't have liked if we got the reveal that Giles was dead here and also like still had the season to go like it would have been a little uh, you're right Dana it would have been a little bit too much for like the Scoobies Buffy and for us the viewers like don't also kill the only good dad figure in the whole show um but okay so so Giles leaves with the girls we get the like Spike's chip isn't working and we get Willow saying oh Kennedy's upstairs she's sick so we get all three of our plot lines very at the top of the episode and it kind of stays consistent throughout the episode of these are the three plots. Um, and so we get the credits. And after the credits, we get uh, we find that Kennedy is not sick. She's pretending. She wants to go on a date. Um, I loved her soft butch look that she was changing into with her <laughs> suspenders. I thought it was cute. <laughs> Hands up. I did it. <laughs> um, and. Again, this is where I'm like, oh, well, they left Kennedy. She was definitely the most useful potential. If they had been like, oop, yeah, there was a bad and he murdered the wall. Well, they would have been fine. Um, And they get more potentials anyway. Uh, Because I almost feel like, right, that would have given us some space if we had done that. And then like later on at the end, it's like, oh, yeah, we do have an army. These other girls are here, but we don't need to like waste time. I don't know. Um, The way way that Kennedy would be a TikTok lesbian who posts like nonstop (laughs) thirst traps um, <laughs> the, like I, okay. So I appreciate Kennedy's like boldness because I think I was very much yes. like that as a young person, especially in the, like the nineties where it's still, it was still a big deal to be out and proud. And right. I, I appreciate her being very like upfront about her attraction and her feelings to Willow. What I guess I don't love is that like at times it makes Willow like visibly uncomfortable and mm. it's like she Kennedy's just too young to catch a hint, maybe, um, or maybe she just doesn't want to catch a hint. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think she's really young, and I I will say it was you know I didn't get to say this before, but I I need to say it. I Ian, I hate you that in the previously on I didn't I got the jump scare of getting to see the bullet go right through Tara's chest, oh, which God, was I you know. know I was like, wasn't expecting that. Okay. And then it like cuts two seconds later to this scene. And I was like, I'm just, I can't just be like, haha, this is like cute and flirty, like love when I just had to like relive that again. And I feel like that's just a problem. Like all the things that she does, like it just has that undertone of I'm like, but wasn't that, that's still on the previously on, wasn't that long ago, was it? Hmm. And then it just like sours for me. At, like as much as I like her and I get it, like she thinks Willow's hot. Me too. I also would try <laughs> to get drinks with Willow at the bronze. I understand. <laughs> it just gets that like sour undertone where I'm like, but remember. <laughs> I I gotta say though, and I'm gonna be a little grim here, and I apologize in advance. Oh god. <laughs> uh, as someone who also has a dead ex, I appreciate that Kennedy. I, like, I feel like sometimes you need that. Like, Kennedy, and I've said this before, Kennedy is not her forever love. It's like, this is like a hot person who is cool and is like, yeah, this person I'm attracted to, they're kind of depressed and they're still like grieving and sad, but like, I, it's not bothering me. And sometimes, like, you need that as like someone to make you feel a little bit more stable. It's like, oh, this person 
isn't like weirded out by, I mean, you know, I, my eyes weren't turning black and doing magic, but you know, like someone who's not, you can talk to about that. And she never gets weird. She does say some stupid things like about the magic, but I do think there's something to be said for someone who's going to be like confident and not, oh, this person's too depressed for me. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. Yeah. yeah. She's very empathetic, actually, in this. Like, she listens. And yeah. she's not like, let's stop talking about Tara. She's like, all right, let's, you know, like, obviously, you need to, like, talk to somebody about this. And so I appreciate that about her. Like, I mean, she she has more depth than I remember her having. And maybe that's because I was just so still angry about what had happened to Tara. But, I mean, I think it's actually a pretty plausible conversation that these two have. Yes. 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 Um, yeah. But wait, before we, I realize I just skipped ahead. I want to talk about the scene that I actually did really like that we don't get Is nearly it, enough of this season. I was going to be, I was going to bring up that we skipped one very important scene for me as a child watching this, um, sexy spike in chains. And I understand that this is like <laughs> a queer space and I am bringing it to a place of heterosexuality and I'm sorry, but I did want to bring no. it up. We can go on and on about those soft butch looks later on, but I do have to say. <laughs> Listen, chained up, you are talking. Chained up Spike was, a, every single time we did it, gave Rosa a lot of fetishes, and I do need to bring <laughs> that up for the episode. I'm guessing uh, that Ian wanted to talk about the uh, Buffy and Willow conversation in the kitchen. Yeah, probably that. <laughs> no, I, I want to derail it a little bit. I'm, I'm feeling feisty. I, <laughs> no, go on with the kitchen one. No, Rosa, so let's are- talk on this. <laughs> You are also talking to a gay man right now. So, like, yes, when I had James Marsters on, I even told him that, like, punk spike in the flashback episode of Fool for Love was, like, a big sexual awakening for me. And he told me I had good taste. Um, So, (laughs) yes, I do understand that. But, yeah, I would like to talk about the Buffy and Willow moment because I did – the thing that those two always did really well was, like, queer, straight friendship. And I always really appreciate that because we – even now we don't get it that much on TV where it feels organic um, where it's like, you know, I mean, we'll get like a friend group, but we don't often get like two best friends where one is queer and one is straight. Um, And I just, I like seeing that. Like I like seeing Buffy like tease her when she's like, mm-hmm about right. like, like Willow she's saying like, she's I know Willow that she has the hots for you and you kind of have the hots right. for her. And it's kind of fun that I like to mess with you. Yeah, you know what I mean? And I I like seeing that. And like, especially back then, we like barely ever got that, right? Um, Right. I mean, yeah, Dana, right? Like, I feel like it was either the gay characters were friends or the straight characters. It wasn't a lot of- We don't talk about the gay stuff. We just, you know, you do your gay stuff on your own and we don't talk about (laughs) it. But it was a really cute moment that could have happened between like any combination of gendered friends. Yeah, yeah. And I, I actually do love the beat of- Buffy being like, remember when things used to be nice and boring and Willow just going, no, because <laughs> like really never for them. Yeah. I mean, outside <sighs> of even the gay part of the conversation, I took a note to just go Willow and Buffy actually talking question mark because <laughs> so much of like my thoughts of post even season three is that like they really fail to give Willow and Buffy like the same level of core best friendship. And so to even see them having like a one on one giggly chat is not common anymore. And I remember it, I mean, it's season six, it's really not, like it's all really deep and heavy if they are talking. So it was nice to see them like, as Ian loves to say, best friend chemistry, Um, they do have it. And so it's nice to see them actually a moment where like you can just be witness to it. Yeah. Yeah. I have 
to say, I think a lot of this episode specifically for me, because I also watched a lot of the episodes around it in preparing for this, this one ages the worst for me in a lot of <laughs> places. Like there's just things that I'm like, I, it doesn't work anymore or like it doesn't, it like gave me like a mm, moment. And this was the one scene that I feel like is very contemporary actually to me. Like this felt very, like it could be put out today. And I think that's, that's why I liked it at all. Uh <laughs> Oh, good. I was worried you'd be like, and especially this scene was dated. No, this scene, terrible. No, I mean, (laughs) yeah, like I I wrote down a lot of moments that, and I probably won't even speak to all of them, where like there are moments in this episode that like I really think, like tell me it's like early 2000s without telling me it's the early 2000s, but this one was very sweet. I liked that. Rosa, that actually uh, segues perfectly into um, them at the bronze, (laughs) <laughs> because I do want to know what everyone thinks about this, because I am a little torn on when, like you said, Dana, Kennedy is confident. And I do appreciate that Kennedy, I can almost relate like talking to like a younger queer who's like been out since they were like teen, a teen. Like I didn't come out till I was like 1920. I didn't lose my gay virginity till I was like 22. Like, so like, I feel Willow being all like stumbly and weird about Kennedy being like, oh, when'd you know you were gay is annoying. But also I'm like, it was like 2002 or 2003. I don't think anyone had ever asked her that before. Yeah. So true. And so like she hadn't had that conversation. Like the the last time she had that conversation on screen was when she came out to Buffy, which they kind of talked about it, but then they didn't talk about it after. Um, So I don't know. So, okay, Dana, I... I'm curious. Did you, did, what did you think of like the way Willow reacts to that? Um, I think that she's already, so she's already nervous. She's already on the defensive. Um, and if you've never been asked that question before, if you've never really had to think about it, I don't, I guess I don't mind how Willow kind of approaches it because to her, I don't think she ever really does like talk to us about her sexuality outside of her relationships with Oz and um, and Tara. So I think that it's okay for her to kind of, I don't know, center her experience on this one person because that, that really is her experience, right? Um, right? I think we, once once she has more to do with Kennedy, I think we see more of a, um, you know, the baby gay emerging um, and becoming an adult gay in Willow. But I think at this moment in time, this is the first speech she's giving on this and she's un- she's unprepared. Liv, what, what did you think about it? This, Although, I don't know, when you were saying that, it just brought up in my head the scene in Entropy when her and Tara are talking to Anya. She's like, it's not about the hating men. It's more about the girl-on-girl action. So I feel like that's the most that she's spoken <laughs> about the fact that, like, she likes to have sex with women. Um, yeah. And that's like all she's thought about it so far is like boobs, which relate. Um, But it is definitely, I don't know. I guess I didn't even, maybe it's just like my whole viewing of queer shows or like these things is different because obviously I was not seeing this live in like the full environment that it was that I didn't really get stuck on that part beyond just reading it as like Willow is weird because Willow is weird. Like this is them writing her as like, Quirky, like, I don't know. Like, I also like, I love Willow. And so when I say these like deprecating things, it's out of a love for her character. But like, she does like to play as if, like, like, why are you, like, I don't know, like, take the focus off of her. Like, no, Liv, that's very true. You're totally right. <laughs> like, she doesn't love to talk about herself. 
she feels That's awkward. True. She like, oh, I'm so innocent and weird and quirky. And like, even though she does have these like deep kind of feelings underneath, but that is very much a part of her that I just feel like someone was trying to write Willow, capital W, mm-hmm. um, that I didn't focus too much on that. Really, I wrote, you're sexy when you pout in quotes and then dash vomit. Um, <laughs> like I, I like that was what stuck out to me. And then, however, when it jumps to like the, you know, there's a better word for that about like the gaydar stuff. Yeah, that to was, me, I was like, I was like, love that. I was like, this <laughs> is what I want. But I was like, you know why? I was like, that hits me like the L word at its best in terms of like queer women all together at a table, like joking with each other at like different levels of their coming out journey, whatever, like just like funny. Like I'm like, these are conversations I have with friends where I was like, love. And that's where it hit me again, where I was like, God, I wish they could have been friends. I also, I'm just gonna throw this in there, wish that they aged Kennedy down and let her date Dawn. But that is a, you know, that is, we all think Dawn's a lesbian. That is the Gen Z Buffy Twitter take on that. Anywho. Um, huh. It just made me feel like these people have chemistry. It's just not reading flirty relationship for me. I mm. But I love them having like these fun gay conversations on Buffy, like talking about lesbidar, whatever, you know. <laughs> fun gay conversations. I love that. Uh, Rosa, what do you think of this scene? You know, I think that actually I kind of agree on the characterization of Willow. I think she comes off exactly how I think Willow would on a date even at like, you know, 22, uh, that Mm -hmm. I was fine with. I did not like Kennedy. Kennedy comes off really weird to me in this scene. It's like, like, I don't think they did enough work on like knowing who Kennedy is. So instead of like knowing who she is, they were like, what would a lesbian say on a date? And I think that's why you get some (laughs) kind of like weird moments in here where you're like, I really loved Lesbadar. There, someone brings up, I think, flirting in code, which I also thought was like really cool. The rest of that scene's kind of just trash for me. I like, I don't buy it. Oh, the lickable, your freckles oh, are that lickable. Was, like, okay, ugh. we're not, we're on a barely first date here. Yeah, people. I just, it didn't save. That's second date language. I just really <laughs> felt like from, like from Willow, I was like, that's how Willow would act, and then it just seemed like they wrote like a horny stock character for the other <laughs> half of this scene. I think that's my only problem with it that it's like it's Willow and this horny, horny nightmare. Listen, um, where where is my horny stock character? I need that person in my life. Kennedy is them <laughs> mocking all of the lesbians on the message boards, like talking about Allison Hannigan. They're like, ha ha, this is how you sound. Like, what the hell? (laughs) You know, but Rosa, you did mention, I did like Kennedy, the way she describes the, like, the way you know. And then I kind of, I did, I will, hands up, I like that she's, like, describing it and she's doing a good job of being, like, the way you look at each other, the way the eye contact is, you know, the way you talk. And then she's like, or you get her drunk and see if she comes on to you. Um, I thought that felt like this episode is written by a gay man. Um, So I did feel, like, that felt gay to me. Like, that felt like, yes, that is something someone would say is that problematic i don't know <laughs> yeah I, think, I mean i think with oh. her age no go ahead but like all i was literally say problematic when then we talk about how it feels like a 15 year old saying that right right is weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think if we pulled a lot of stuff in this episode apart like really with a fine tooth like you're gonna get some stuff which like isn't good uh <laughs> that one i kind of just let it slide because that felt like it didn't feel like the one that I wanted to 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 pull apart as much as I could have, you know? Yeah, we'll get to the one that we all want to pull apart later, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think we all know where it is. <laughs> so Buffy goes to talk to Spike. Is she, they have the very weird, he says, who are you going to call? And then he says, God, that phrase will never be usable again. Um, 
She's when going to call. When was this made? When was this made? 2003. Did Ghostbusters have a resurgence in 2002? Like they say it in a way that made it feel like it was written in 1987. It's like, <laughs> you, know, you I am, are right. Sorry. I just like. I, Maybe there, maybe there was a resurgence that I don't remember, but I, I wrote that one down because I was like, "Who's still talking about Ghostbusters in 2002?" <laughs> I, <laughs> or like you 2003, right. whatever. Um, I do like the callback to like the flower shop thing, though, because we did. I think Dana or Liv or Rosa, I don't know if you all remember. I think it's season five or six when she does like, and it is like a flower shop, and she's not sure if it's real. Um. Or am I making that up? Uh, I think there's a flower shot. I think that is a callback. I think right. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so we get like I I do like calling back to that. Um, another thing from that conversation that I do like I like Willow's characterization of her mother. Um, because that's not a type of character we often get a lot where she says like eh, she barely acknowledged Tara. Like I get her as like a mom who wants to march in a pride parade but also doesn't really give a shit about her child. Um, and I kind of like, I just like that, like that would be Willow's mother, um, mm-hmm. because that's not the type of character we often get, but that is, I feel like I've known plenty of people that are like gay rights, but then also like, oh, pff, get these fags out of here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I feel like that would track for someone. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I like that they mentioned it at all. And also just my heart generally goes out to any like queer women who are watching this at the time, because like, even me, when I I remember watching this for the first time, like even a little mention of Tara, like my heart jumps and I'm like, I'm begging for the content, even though it's like, it's so little and it's like barely anything. And it's, you don't get a funeral, you don't get any healing or closure, but like to even hear her like acknowledge that Tara existed and was a person was like, it's still, I'm like, thanks. Like in that conversation, just being like, we were private. I was like, ow, okay, ow. (laughs) kennedy also uh says she likes skate punk and of course she does um she mentions that scarlet and gone with the wind was her like which is such a personal offense to if (laughs) if i was on a date with a woman and i was like hey so when did you (laughs) know you liked women and they were like yeah you know that movie about slavery from the 40s i'd be like what are you talking about i would honestly walk out of the date i would stand also for a girl who's supposed to be like 15 in 2003, how is that your thing? That's insane to me. I'm sorry. I like, I cannot live in a world. <laughs> yeah, 19, no, Rosa. But even for a 22-year-old in 2003, that would be weird, right? If, like, she was, uh, if she was an elderly Southern belle, like a fried green tomatoes type, maybe. Maybe. And I think I'd still walk out. <laughs> I think we're just realizing that somebody was really insistent on putting out of date references in this episode and was like, we are not cutting them. Yeah. What what are the kids into these days? Like if they had said ska, if they had said ska, then I'd have been like, all right. All right. Yeah. 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 That would make sense. Yeah. I would just, I don't know. There's such a weird thing about fairy tales in this episode. It would make so much sense to make her like coming out thing a fairy tale. Mm. And I think they just, it's such a weird ball drop for me. Anyway, go on. (laughs) All right. So we get to the end of the date and um, this awkward moment where Willow and Kennedy walk to Willow's room. um, And yeah, so a kiss happens and we are treated to the horrific sound of Warren saying like, 
that felt good or some, something terrible. Ugh. I can't even remember because I just screamed through it. Um, <laughs> and we discover that um, somehow Willow now looks like Warren, the man she murdered, who murdered her partner. Yes. Um, and it is a moment. I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I do think Adam Bush does a good Willow. Um, when they like show him like stammering and whatever, it does lead us to a scene that I do enjoy when her and Kennedy are running down to the living room and we see Anya, Dawn and Xander all like yell and jump up and they think it's the first. Then Andrew comes in and he thinks it's the first. I do like that. No, Andrew thinks it's his gay lover. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at first he thinks he's the first. And then once he like (laughs) Buffy comes in and punches her, which I was like, Ooh, I feel like that would have broken Willow's nose. (laughs) If like a For square real. punches her square in the face. Um, well, is it a worn nose or a willow nose? That's a big question true. that we would have. True. I do think that they could have doubled down and just done a who's on first because they almost do it in this scene. And I'm like, nah, you, <laughs> you should have done it. Double down. It's <laughs> it bring some cheesy fun in this one. And I'm mad they didn't. <laughs> I like that you wanted them to go further. <laughs> Well, because they practically do it because it's like, who's the first? I'm like, you could push this farther. I think they could have done it. (laughs) Well, thankfully, they figured out the situation quickly because we have so much to cram into the into this episode. So we wouldn't have had time for, you know, Willow to be running around town if everyone thinking her that she was Warren. Um, So, you know, we get to this quickly and she's pissed. She is furious. And she's like, I got to I got to get some help. And, you know, because we have uh, Kennedy, who is moving in, got the U-Haul ready now, even though their first kiss turned out to be a disaster, is insisting on coming with Willow uh, against her wishes. But, I mean, she she did need the help, right? I mean, she did. Well, I guess she, she did. <laughs> and and I, it's, not, yeah. it's not like she was wrong that she needed the help, but, you know, Willow's... Willow's going through it right now. Can you imagine turning into like the person that ruined your life? Yeah. I cannot. It feels like the little character that Kennedy does have. This is like she would be like, she's she's confident. She thinks she genuinely thinks that like she will help Willow. That Willow is better off with her. So she's doing it from maybe like kind yeah. of a boisterous self obsessed i don't know like whatever place but it's still like from a loving place like oh no i will be helping you like yeah. you're you need help and i i'm i'm not afraid i can do it magic stuff doesn't scare me and and will and kennedy is also like the most confident of the potential she thinks that she's like ready to go out there and be the slayer right yes i do have to say i don't know if she's scared of magic at all but she does at one point call it fairy tale crap in this episode yeah. and i need to point this out because it's one of my like truly I think like a cinema sin whenever this happens and it it always does in tv shows and movies that have like multiple um like multiple types of magic or whatever that Mm. yeah no I know vampires are real I know that there are demons that walk the earth but magic that's too stupid (laughs) and I'm like what it's this insane line that's drawn in the sand in pretty much every single one like like there's one thing where it's like yeah I'm yeah, like, I know demons are real, but God, I'm like, where, like, it, this happens all the time, and it's just one of those ones where I'm like, why, why is this where we're drawing the line? And it actually made me dislike her a lot, where she's like, oh, yeah, I'm a, a, not afraid of magic, that's just a bunch of crap. And I'm like, you fight <laughs> 
demons. What are you talking about? It's just, I'm sorry. It's just like a thing that I hate. I'm, I'm such a hater this episode. <laughs> the the Marvel shows did that at first too, when it would be like, ooh, aliens and like gods and all this exists, but like, ooh, like in Agents of Shield, the first season, there's like a someone they think is a telepath, and they're like, that's not real. And it's like the, there was an alien invasion in New York, and a god helped stop it with his hammer that shoot electricity. But that feels unreal. Like, mm, we should be open to like all sorts yeah, of wacky just the things weird. at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I think so, she should just embrace that there's wacky stuff. That's all I'm saying. Right. Just be like, maybe be like, I haven't encountered magic, but sure, I can believe it's real. Um, so I do like uh, Willow Warren says, I don't want you to see me like this. And Buffy's like, it's kind of late for that because she has already seen her. Um, but so we're Buffy and Spike make their way to the initiative. Just as Chip was acting up during that chaos scene where everyone's in the living room. Um, then we get the watcher that we last saw Giles with, who we thought was dead, Robeson, has called the house. He informs them what happened. And we get the Anya line that is in every previously on Buffy for the rest of the season, when she says, we're dealing with a big bad that can take, that can be any dead person it wants. Um, I do like this scene. I liked when the, like, this group, I kind of like Andrew and Anya and Dawn, I think have good chemistry together. Um, I think Xander and Andrew have good chemistry together. Um, they decide they're going to find Giles because they're worried that he is the first because no one can remember him touching things. They all get up. We have the like, I get a little tired. I mean, and I said, I like Andrew. I get a little tired of the back and forth with Andrew. Cause like he's there and he's like, no, I'm not taking you. And it's like, mm-hmm. just let him go. Let him go with you. Like whatever. Um, that stuff gets a little tiresome for me because we have to like waste time watching them like, I, like Buffy's annoyance at Andrew, I like, or Willow's, because it's just like they don't like him and they're rolling their eyes walking away from him. They're not arguing with him. Um, and this feels a little bit like just fucking do it. Um, so then we get Willow. She says she's go Willow, Willow Warren says she's going to see some old friends. Who does she go see, Dana? <laughs> she goes to see the collegiate Wiccan group. <laughs> who who are some pretty badass chicks now who can actually do some magic. Yes, they can. Now, I really have to ask a question. Did you guys catch the name of the group's leader? No. Oh, gosh. What was it? Um, I didn't write it down, but... I didn't write it down. Let me spoil it for you. You know how Julie Pleck is a huge Buffy fan? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, her name was... The girl's name was Bonnie, and that's the woman who wrote the Vampire Diaries. And it just funny to me that... Um, this gorgeous black leader of the Wicca's group name is Bonnie. Gorgeous Kat Graham, her black witch best friend in the Vampire Diaries. I'm like, I see you, Julie Pleck. I see you immediately. <laughs> you jumped, you grabbed the name, you didn't even try. Amazing. I thought that was hilarious. And I know that she's like a huge, huge, huge Buffy fan. And it just made me I, laugh. I've been trying to get her on the podcast for that, years. So yes, I, I do know she is a huge Buffy fan. <laughs> um, I don't know though, but Bonnie is like a common name. I come on, she wrote a Buffy spec script that had like a live reading. I just have okay. to think that like a, and a witch to like come on. <laughs> oh come on, it's like whatever. Little Easter egg. I I bet if you asked her, she'd be like so true queen. <laughs> anyway, I loved that character, and she was cool. I do wish they had been able to get at least the like one or two of the women that were in the original Wicker group, um, just because it feels like if mm. Willow knows them. I don't like, was she going to that group occasionally? Um, 
I don't know. And th- this show usually did a good job of bringing back even a side character that was in like one episode. Well, there we go. Hold on. We brought right. somebody important back. Everybody's favorite. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. dun. Boo. Rat, rat girl. Ugly rat. Liv She's actually very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I will say this. That actress does a fantastic job. She does. She She's does. great. Great. She's great because I hate Amy so much, which means she's doing a great job. I wouldn't hate yeah. Amy if she was like giving it half-ass performance. Yeah. I think it's a little weird in this because they bring her back and then like maybe I'm I, – I guess I'm jumping ahead. But she like – it's revealed that like she's she's ev- like she's behind this. But right. it, I, it came out of so nowhere for me. And this is one of those things where Buffy's last time ons would be truly insane if you re-put everything. But I, I was like, wait, who is this again? And I had to pause it and remember. <laughs> I, it felt, this felt like a tenuous one, honestly, to me. <laughs> um, Amy, that's her thing, though. Amy just kind of fucking appears and disappears <laughs> and appears and disappears whenever she pleases just to fuck with the, the timeline. Like, that's so her true. thing. She's in almost every season, I think, Amy. Because in season four, she like in season three or season four, she de season four, she derats for like one second. I think season five is like the only season she's not in. Weirdly. Yeah. And let's 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 yeah. let's hang on that for a second. If okay. you are ever wondering maybe why Amy is so angry, she was turned into a fucking rat for multiple <laughs> seasons. I don't know. If I got to live in a cage in Tara and Willow's bedroom and watch them have sex, I wouldn't be complaining. <laughs> God. That, I mean, it was a hey, joke, listen. you guys. I would like a laugh. Thank you. It's very funny of me to say that, but I was half half truth. I mean, listen, I I'm not here to hate on her. It's just like one of those things where I just I was like I don't know. Maybe I just like blocked her out because it's one of my least favorite plot lines. <laughs> but <laughs> rat girl. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, it was fine. Like, it's fine to have her back. I'm glad that she unratted off screen to do this. Go for her. <laughs> I, Maybe I like that you're like I, I cut her from it's my mind. <laughs> to smash, smashed and wrecked mean nothing to you. I just, I just thought it was, uh, I don't know. I just thought, I thought it was just such a convenient thing to be like, like a really cool conceit that like Willow's having this like nightmare of like turning into this person where it's just like, it was me. I did a hex. And then like, I go into the background. I was like, okay, fine. (laughs) Sorry. When you said it, like that made me laugh so much. Just thinking of her being like, it was me the whole time. (laughs) I kind of like that it is. I think it's, I think it's kind of because because even though Amy is a powerful witch, she's still very much a human being, just like Willow is. And she wanted Willow to torture herself in in a way that only Willow could. Because in in Amy's mind, Willow has tortured her. Yeah, yeah, and and also very literally have done that. I would argue. <laughs> I, you know what i I did think about that a little bit, like. I can see I if I were in Amy's shoes, I would probably also be jealous of Willow. Like, oh, no one really liked me. Yeah. I didn't do anything evil. And then Willow tried to destroy the world and kill all her friends. And everyone was like, we're cool. Um, and like I spent, you know, my last 
two years of high school. My last year of high school was a rat and didn't get unratted for like two years later. Um, I probably would also be jealous and bitter about Willow if I were Amy. Um, yeah, I mean, she does get tortured and like the world almost ends. I don't think she's necessarily in the wrong here, but it just, it just, <laughs> you know, no. All right. I take right. it all back. I'm team Amy in this. <laughs> well, we see Amy quote unquote, try to help Willow. Right. But what it does is it actually pushes that hex over the line into where now Willow is becoming Warren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he like slaps her, calls yeah. her a bitch. It's very, well, Willow slaps her, calls her a bitch. It's very like Warren-y puts up the barrier so Kennedy can't follow. And I guess, and then she goes in to talk to Amy and we get the like cliffhanger of her being like, oh, she got a potential Slayer bodyguard. And Kennedy's like, I didn't tell you I was a potential. And Amy just goes, oops. Um, And then we get the kind of conflation of everything all at once where it's like two seconds in this plot. So we'll just, let's talk about the Buffy Spike plot. They go to the initiative they encounter a demon. It felt very, very dark. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't hate it. But literally it just, dark. Again, like you couldn't see anything. Yeah. <laughs> like literally it's, couldn't see what was it's going so on. It's so spooky and it feels like it's in a different TV show to me. Yes. Like it feel, or like a different mo- Like it's actually like pure horror, which I know Buffy's like, like kooky, spooky, creepy right. a lot. But like you don't, I re- like... It was a little bit like, oh, this seems like a like a paranormal activity type film yes. style. It it looks well, very so I, different. I really, to me. I really agree. I literally took a note that says the initiative scene before they fight when they're walking around the flashlights reminds me. I don't know if you guys have watched Stranger Things, but in like the third season when Joyce and Hopper go back to the Hawkins lab and it's like abandoned and they're walking through it, it felt exactly like that. Like it felt separate, different, but it, it literally just made me think of that exact scene. Yeah. I, I, I could see that. I actually put this as very, this is one of the last times Buffy actually tries to use any horror elements is like here. Um, I will say I, I liked that Riley Finn sent the government people to help. I did like that. Um, I'm not Yay. Riley's hugest, biggest fan, but I was like, oh good. He is like doing good here, right? Buffy needed his help and he was like, I will help. I'm not going to do it, but I send people to help because I don't want to associate with Spike. Great. Understandable. Um, and I liked the like government dude being like, oh, Agent Finn reported that you tried to contact him earlier and Buffy being like, I knew it because she did call the right place. Um, and then he like refers to Spike as ass face. Ass face. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> um, and, you know, Rosa, you mentioned this, but I really did like them letting Buffy make the decision. Like, I thought that was a very good choice for the plot. Right. I think that that was like a great cliffhanger to like, I think it's good. Like it's like, it's, it's a well set up, like good cliffhanger, great, like moral decision making time. Right. I do think how they get to that decision where it's like, yeah, Riley said it's all cool. Yeah, you can do it. Like, I was like, is this the government? The government (laughs) is saying to like a random blonde, like little lady that it's like, oh yeah, (laughs) you can make the. It's just like, it is just a wild it's one of those, like, the writing gets so fanciful to me that I'm like, it's fun, but it is bizarre. A bizarre way of ending this one. <laughs> I do think part of that may have been them trying to tie up 
Riley's storyline, like the part, the episode he's in in season six, like it is about growth. And like a lot of the issues of their relationship were that he could not deal with her as a slayer. Like he really couldn't deal with the power imbalance or not being like the one in charge. Like that clearly threatened him a lot. And I feel like part of it was to say, and I don't love how they got to this either, but like part of it was to say that like, it's letting to rest that Riley's like not trying to influence, you know, it's like Buffy will make the decision. Buffy knows what's best. And that is like something to lay that down at the end of the show. And like, I do yeah. think that is yeah, nice. Totally good point. E- even though we don't see him, it's nice closure for Riley. Which I like, liked. Yeah, I do like that. Um, so then we get, we'll talk about the Scoobies plot line. We get them driving to go see Giles. Um, I do like Anya's lines of like, like, what are we going to do? And she's like, it's, we're a teenager, a former demon and two geeks. Like, what are <laughs> we going to actually do? And then Andrew's like, play license, get play game. Um, <laughs> So they do get to Giles eventually. They hop on him to like make sure he's corporeal, a a word I literally learned from Buffy. And um, we were talking about things we hated, Rosa. I'm going to assume that you also hated the line Giles delivers here. Oh, the weird sexual assault joke that doesn't fit with Giles' character that we just threw in at the end of this episode. The thing that I hate. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) He would never say that. It's like he doesn't. He, it's such a weird it's obviously some someone in the writer's room were like nah keep it it's funny and I'm like <laughs> you don't need to actually it's, Giles says wait let me get this right if I take a bunch of girls ca- teenage girls camping I'm evil if I don't touch them and I was like yeah ugh really did we need, did we need this I would answer no I would say that it's yes. just such a it's just so gross and sloppy and it feels kind of below Buffy for me, which I like, I felt like maybe I have to rewatch a bunch of it to like real, like maybe the jokes were always that bad. And I had some internalized misogyny <laughs> that I had to work through before understanding that. But I truly do. I was like, even in this episode, there's no joke that's worse than this, except maybe the Ghostbusters thing in 2002. Cause that's also <laughs> unforgivable. So, um, but yeah, it just feels I, like, so, the only way that line would have made sense is if someone like Xander delivered it, I think. Like, yeah, that would track that he would say oh something my God, gross yes. like that. Giles would never let those words come out of his mouth. It, no. It's so funny you say that because it it literally struck me as this line where Xander says like, and sometimes I do a spell by myself. Like, it sounds like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it does not sound <laughs> like Giles. Mm-mm. Giles, like, I don't think... I can't remember a time when Giles ever made, like, any kind of sex joke aside from this. Like, any kind of, like, racy, like, gross... I, like, Giles just doesn't do that, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I hate that line. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but so, then we move on. We'll move on to Kennedy and Willow. Um, we get the the oops cliffhanger. She zap Amy zaps Kennedy, you know, across the lecture hall. Um... Amy explains the hex she put on Willow. Uh, she even laughs when Kennedy says that, like, well, why'd she become after that way after we kissed? Because Amy explains, I think it's that, right? It's like, oh, she the hex she did, your subconscious picks your punishment, right? And so, like, that makes sense. Yes. That, that, would, that would be what Willow picked. Right, Dana? Absolutely. It did. It was kind of like, it. W- it is kind of like a beautiful way to make the hex just the worst thing Willow can imagine. And part of that, I think, is really special that part of the worst thing Willow can imagine is moving on from Tara. Yeah. Mm. Is how I read it. And I think that that's like a really, it's beautiful and it's devastating and it's a real small moment in this one. 
but I really, I really enjoyed some of that commentary because I, I think I understood it in a lot of ways, you know? Well, I think yes. that's why I think that's why I was talking about Amy the way I was because I think Amy knows Willow well enough to know how she mm. would torture herself about this and how that that could be the worst thing. Like anything Amy could do to her, only Willow could come up with something worse. Yes, yes, <sighs> I agree with that. I think it's partly also why I struggle with the messaging of this episode overall, because I like that. And then we'll get to this, but like the next scene, the where it ends and the conclusion, I just feel like doesn't support that makes me question why it even like, it's not a good ending to that point because that is so powerful and it is true. It's like Willow's going to torture her. That's what she's good. Willow is good at torturing herself and, you know, Mm putting all the pressure on herself and putting all the pain on herself and internalizing it really hard. Like it's a great point. And then for it to go and we'll get into it. It's just, I don't think it ended in the way that really gave that what it deserved. It does end really like abruptly, doesn't it? I, I, I'm going to defend the ending. Oh, oh Ian. okay, good. <laughs> you know, what? I'm glad someone will, Ian. I'm on so, Ian's side. <laughs> wait, before, Ian, before you defend the ending, let's tell viewers actually like what happens because it's yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, Dana, do you want to tell everyone what happens? Yes. So as all these hijinks are happening elsewhere, Willow is becoming more and more Warren. She even goes to the the pawn shop and buys the same gun that Warren used to um, to threaten Buffy and to kill Tara. So when Kennedy gets zapped into the summer's backyard, we see Willow, who is Warren, bursting through the gate with the gun and, you know, ready to ready to use it. And so they have to have this this like conversation, this kind of they come to Jesus moment. And that's when Kennedy's able to break through to Willow enough for Willow to break down and and say that it this is all her fault because for this this moment for just seconds when she let when she let Kennedy kiss her she she let Tara go and she drops to her knees and she says I'm sorry baby and it's just Oh, oh my it's god! Just gut wrenching. Yeah, I I cried again watching it this afternoon. No, it is like I literally wrote Willow calling Tara baby. Like even in death, like calling Tara baby will always move me. Like it was just like yeah, oh, like I was hit <laughs> in the chest. <laughs> well, and I think Allison Hannigan is a very good crier. Yep. There's something that uh, I want to say, but it possibly detracts from the overall emotion that we're all having. Um, I think that there's. There's, I So when she falls to her, like I shed a little bit of a tear when she falls to her, her knees. One thing that will always make me laugh in this scene, and maybe that makes me a bad person, is oh, the God. thought of a witch walking around with a gun. <laughs> uh, I call it the gremlins paradox, where, you know, in the movie Gremlins, when one of the gremlins gets a gun, it's one of those <laughs> things you don't see in like the horror sci-fi <laughs> right (laughs) like i don't know like area that much where it's like and like a person who does not need to use a gun for any like who has powers that would make it so you don't need this is holding a gun will always make me laugh and (laughs) that's probably bad but yeah it's like you uh, 
giving a witch a gun is is gonna always be funny for me. <laughs> there's there's been that like screenshot going around from Fortnite of like Jean Grey in her Dark Phoenix costume because like they added X Men outfits I guess to the game Fortnite and it's like her holding a machine gun and it's like so silly because it's like Jean Grey is the most powerful mutant why would she hold a machine gun um, and people have been using it for everything and it makes me laugh this? every time <laughs> yeah that's um, how I feel yeah. about this actually too I do so. I do get what you're saying um, but yeah I think Allison Hannigan sells this moment I do think it is a weird. Um, Dana, you said there's not a lot of closure. It is weird that like no. the Amy, we just don't ever see Amy again. Like she she teleports Kennedy and that's it. Like there's no Yeah, she pieces like Kennedy, out like, and then Yeah. Kennedy's like, oh, it's not your fault. It's okay. And Will is like, oh, okay, let's I'm tired. <laughs> and then like, they just like go on to make out and have sex, you know, through, you know, later on. So yeah, it, it ends very abruptly. And it, but I think, I think that the intention was to speak to fans who were also grieving the way that Willow was grieving for Tara, which yeah. I appreciate, but I also found it torturesome. Um, that we have to go through this after also going through the trauma of losing Tara. So I, which is a, which is something I often feel with Buffy that there are these moments that I have intentions, good intentions behind them. But like if anyone had put a lot of thought behind them at the time or thoughts were different at the time, maybe they wouldn't have been so traumatic for like, especially queer fans. No, literally, all I want to see is like a small fucking funeral, excuse me for cursing, fucking funeral for Tara. And I don't need to see, and part of what like really bothers me is that all of the grief of Tara's death is on Willow alone. And the whole death, it's all from Willow's perspective. We don't ever get to see Tara as a person. I don't get to say Buffy say that I miss Tara or Dawn, like beyond the one episode. So like, I don't need this episode of Willow going through this. And I get it, like, but I would much rather see Willow like, I don't know, tearfully read something. I know that's not like fun or sexy or weird, but like I would, I don't know. It's just like, I don't, I think I see the intention, but I think that it didn't need to be a big way. This was not how they needed to like make up, I say in like air quotes to the fans for that. Yeah, like like how, they were just, how is re-traumatizing your fans <laughs> ever a yeah. good idea? Oh, I always like to look at this uh, like relationship of where it kind of also falls in like lesbian or like queer cinema history And I think that part of the reason that, like, I think it broke a lot of things for its time. Like, I think that it did, like, a really good job in, but I think the way it ends is really because we as, like, a society and, like, I think especially, like, a writer's room that was not all, like, queer women weren't ready to, like, shake off all the conventions of queer cinema at the time. And a lot of it has to do with, like, it's, couples did not end up together. You know, in like the yeah. 2000s, like queer couples did not end up together on screen. And I think that like for all Things the good, come. you know, Willow <laughs> and Tara did, they also like couldn't, like they couldn't just let these two be happy. Like I think that they really felt the pressure of like, well, it's it's sad, isn't it? And I, this this whole episode, or at least like this plot really like, like they can't even just have Willow move on and, you know, kiss a cute girl. Like they need to like bring up like, but isn't it terrible that her partner died? And it's, it, I found it very, like, of the time, if well, that makes sense. Yes. Was it you that said Hayes Code? Yes. <laughs> yes, because 
we all know that you must be punished, right? That's part of the Hayes mm-hmm. Code that el- queer people must be punished for being queer. And this, while there, while it, while in some ways was progressive, does carry those that heaviness of that trope of the Hayes Code days of like we're punishing Willow, and in turn we're also punishing our queer fans who are watching this. And like I say, I don't think that that was their intention, but it. Yeah. I don't give a fuck about intention anymore. Thank you. Yes. Dana, and as, you. Well, also as Dana being a badass like host at Clexicon, like you see the implication of this on what I didn't even watch the 100, but I was on Tumblr. I was with the gays. I know exactly what happened. And like, you can't tell me that that wasn't in a way mirroring this as this will be the big emotional gut punch to our fans. Like, come on. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Well, and like, I, I think you make a good point, Dana, of intention over like whatever but like it still sucks either way like whether you intended it to suck or not um i do think a lot about you know even going through this podcast i mean dana you were the one that you've been on for a lot of this like we talked about this in the season six finale about how it's like oh but we needed a we needed a funeral like what this calendar got a funeral yeah (laughs) Yeah, like fuck um and yeah i got i i I, I've noticed it more like all of Buffy's boyfriends, when they leave, they don't die. Like, right. yeah, all of right. those people get to survive. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Oz Tara- gets to leave. Why does Oz get to leave? Right, right. We don't get like a painful death and like he doesn't really come back except for that one episode to find out Willow's gay and to do some character assassination on Oz. But like, <laughs> I yeah, do, you know do I mean? a real bad thing to nice boy Oz. <laughs> for one episode for no reason (laughs) my biggest buffy crush and they that's why i'm like "Mm, i just consider that bad writing on his character like he wouldn't have actually done that he's still my crush you know that i'm not the biggest oz Oz person but like he they that that did him dirty that wasn't that wasn't cool well and i think part of that goes into like they needed someone like they like i think this is going back to kind of this like weird Hayes cody trope of like like Oh yeah, someone has to be against Willow. Some like yeah. someone has to be like not cool that she came out. And we can't make it Buffy or Xander because like they're too important. So like we're just gonna resurrect like an ex-boyfriend who we haven't seen in like I don't know how many seasons, right? Just to come <laughs> in and like be a dick to her because we need someone being a dick. Like it doesn't yeah. it's kind of the same thing in this one with me where it's like or I guess like even when Tara's shot, it's like we need some the these gays can't be happy we need someone to die and then when they return oz is like these gays can't be happy some someone needs to to hate the gays I'm and it, a werewolf. <laughs> yeah and he's a werewolf now. Um, interesting that i also picked up on this episode and i bet you guys probably did too is that we see a much more explicit kiss between yes, yes Dana. and warren than either of the two kisses we see uh with kennedy and willow and that, oh man, that infuriated me. I literally, 10 seconds of Kennedy and Warren making out, then it cuts to two seconds of the back of Willow's head, dot about why do you hate lesbians? It was <laughs> disgusting. I also want to add on a random note, we're out of Bush and Amber Benson dating at this time because like triple vomit I on all of the so. being shared so, yeah. between these people, vomit. But so I was weird. just like, why did they did a full 360? I think I counted three times around or something for watching Warren and Kennedy. Um, and it make wasn't out. like stage kissy. It was like, I am opening my mouth wide. And tongue. Like, like it was tongue situation. And uh, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait. There, so Willow and Kennedy's first kiss is in the dark. 
Um, and is like the swirly camera situation. So we barely see that. And then the second one, like you said, like it's the, the, the swirling and then we just see them, they're like lips parting. Yeah. I wonder if, I wonder if that was like uh, the, like whatever, tell do you think like, like Dana, do you think it was like the television code back then? Because I remember it was a big they deal. They did the same thing on Xena. In an episode where Xena is in, is, he, is she in Joxer or Talicus's body? I can't remember. Right. Um, that's the way they kiss, right? That's the way right. they got them that's to the kiss. That's the way they yes. kiss. And so, like, we see there, we see Gabrielle and Xena, like, come together to kiss, but then it pans out and it's actually Gabrielle kissing, like, Atolicus or somebody like that. Right. And it, it, it's, it was very much like a 90s, 2000, early 2000s sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, this Ugh. is just steeped. It's like homophobia is there, whether it's network executives or it's stuff today. Like one of my favorite shows <laughs> the past couple of years is Atypical, and I love my ship in there. Casey and Izzy obsessed. In the first season or the second season, or I forget which season I was like, Casey has sex with her boyfriend, and like the scene kind of goes into, I don't know, they're like shirtless or something, and it cuts. It's like a teen show. It doesn't need to go further. However, then in that last season, when she goes to have sex with her girlfriend that she's now like spent three seasons developing they make out and just fall back to the bed and not saying they need to go into like explicit detail. It's not the kind of show for that. Right. But I'm like, of course, even today. And that last season was released this year. The double standard is ever present, ever yeah. fucking present. That's totally fair. Yeah. I, it always makes me mad. I can even remember the movie party monster, seeing it in theaters. And like, that is a very gay movie. It is about everyone in it is gay. Like it's a, the, a very queer movie for back. I, it came out. <laughs> yes. And it came out like around this time. And I remember there's not, they don't even kiss. No, there's no gay kiss in that movie. Macaulay Culkin's, uh, God, I forget the name of the guy that did the murder. Michael Alig. Michael Alig. Yes. His character, like when he goes to first hook up with a guy, they like, like you said, Dana, they do the Xena thing where their faces get so close and then they just play fireworks. But then he has like a woman BFF that he makes out with and they make out a lot on screen. And I remember being so mad at that because it was just so awkward. And like, especially if you're queer, like you're noticing that you're like, just fucking kiss or don't have them kiss because it's it's not fun to watch because it's so no. noticeable. Um, it, yeah, it's crazy. And now for a quick break. Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies. So much so, they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies by Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors, like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERSLAYERFEST, all caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies, y'all.
And here with a fashion roundup for the killer and me is Buffy season seven costume designer, Matt Van Dyne. Hello, Matt. Hi. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I'm here. I'm here, you know, broadcasting from rural West Virginia. I'm, I'm at my mother's home. So this should be interesting. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> uh, so what do you got for us for The Killer in Me? The Killer in Me. Well, this is interesting. I found my shooting script and I found my budget for this episode, episode 13. And uh, as I've mentioned before, I really like this episode because, uh, ironically, this is an episode I I know, as I said, I've mentioned before, that I watched and I thought, gee, I wish I had done that episode after I watched it. I thought, I wish I had designed it. And then after I watched it, I realized, oh, I did design this episode. So uh, so uh, I was pleasantly surprised because I really liked it. I really like this episode. I, I think it's a... A good episode of the show. I like that it's small. I like uh, the story. I thought the writing was great. I thought the lighting was great in this episode. I just liked everything about it. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, as I said, I was kind of happy to find the you know my budget for this episode, which uh, I probably the first time since I've spoken to everybody that I've been able to kind of show you what it's like to you know what we allotted per character. Uh, for for each of the characters, you know, in the way of you know purchases and rentals and all of that. So for this entire yeah. episode, the purchases, uh, uh, or what well, for the entire episode, the budget was twenty two thousand five hundred dollars, and right. in that budget, I would allot eighteen thousand dollars for purchases and rentals, uh, fifteen hundred dollars for dry cleaning, and three thousand dollars for alterations. Which are very important, you know. So, uh, because uh, you know, when we would purchase a lot of these clothes or make a lot of things, you know, uh, my seamstress, cutter fitter Shirley Lipscomb, was uh, so uh, essential in um, helping get the look where we wanted it to be and having everything fit so well and perfectly and fine. Yeah. So anyway, I would allot three thousand dollars for that. So. Um, uh, in this episode, I uh, I allowed thirty two hundred dollars in purchases uh, for uh, Sarah for Buffy, uh, Willow twelve hundred dollars, uh, um, Anya seven hundred fifty dollars. Anya didn't have a whole lot of uh, wardrobe in this episode, and uh, Giles uh, twelve hundred dollars, Kennedy twelve hundred dollars, and that just kind of gives you an idea of the main characters, and then for uh, the group, uh, like the witches at the uh, uh, the atmosphere, uh, which you know, all mm. the people, all the girls, mm. I would uh, I, I allotted twelve hundred dollars for them, and then the initiative troop that uh, appear in this episode that was twenty five hundred dollars, which a lot of that would have been in rentals. So um, you know, the way this works, you know, sometimes with a budget. If I felt I was going over budget, I would uh, push some of the purchases over into another episode, and then try to, you know, make it so that no budget, no episode would go over budget. So, mm-hmm. you know, if another episode was going to have a, a little bit uh, less in the way of action and you know stunts and all that, I could, 
sometimes just say, well, hold off, we'll charge that to this episode. And I found I did that with uh, some of uh, uh, Anya's wardrobe uh, because I I wondered about the print print blouse that she's wearing in this episode. And I thought, well, I can't find that in my notes where I purchased it. And it it, it was because I had pushed it to a different episode and I uh, found it. And it was... uh, from Saks Fifth Avenue, it was four hundred and fifty dollars, which ate up a lot of her, of her uh, allotment for this episode because she was only allotted seven hundred seven hundred and fifty dollars. So, but uh, right. but uh, but as I said, I pushed it to another episode because I probably spent uh, the rest of the of her you know allotment you know in this episode on whatever else she was wearing for this particular episode. Yeah. And uh, so, and then, yeah, I always think it's kind of fun to see where things came from and, you know, what they cost and what the purchases, uh, uh, where they were purchased. And the character Kennedy in this episode, uh, I, I really thought, you know, she looked really great in the suspenders. I really liked that. And I found yeah. that I purchased those suspenders at, in the, the menswear department at Nordstrom. And, uh, and I remember when Nordstrom was doing a lot of the male suspenders uh, and with the prints, and these were like an animal print, as I recall. And they were $140 at Nordstrom's. And then her bomber jacket, which uh, I bought two of those, one for her stunt double, one for her, uh, it was $350. And that was at Saks Fifth Avenue, and it was by a line called Rogue. But her little thermal that she wears under the jacket, and, you know, over uh, under the suspenders, uh, was just $46 little thermal from uh, Nordstrom. And okay. uh, so, you know, yeah, it's funny, like, you know, how, you know, little things, you know, you can mix. And, you know, I guess it's like what I'm trying to say is you got to know where to put the money. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, and that mm-hmm. leather jacket, mm-hmm. you know, was worth the money because it, it has that worn, beat up look. It was a great looking jacket. I love that jacket on her. And, uh, yeah. but there again, yeah. you know, uh, Warren, Adam, who I've uh, said before, I'm a fan of his. I, I just thought he was so good in this episode. Um, uh, I only spent $25 on him in this episode. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, for his little great pullover from Nordstrom. And he features so prominently in the episode, but it really wasn't important that he looked, you know, anything other than right. he did, which was, you know, it worked out well. And, uh, for Sarah, that's funny. I I, I did find uh, her um, cargo pant that she's wearing at the opening of in the opening of the episode and throughout a lot mm. of the episode. And uh, that the the way I found it, I think she had we had, or she maybe she had worn it in a previous episode. I don't know that she did, but uh, I had purchased it for a previous episode. But then I needed a stunt double for this episode, and that I found where I purchased the, the double. So I, that's where I purchased her original was a little shop that I would shop, uh, often for Sarah on La Brea Avenue in Los Angeles called blue B L E U. And that little cargo pant was hundred, $174. But there again, her boot, uh, her Brown boot that she was wearing was $474. And I know I mentioned, you know, the witches altogether in the earlier part of the, yeah, you know when we were yeah. talking about that, and I just wanted to say I just loved how they looked. I I just thought you know well they all look so diverse and appropriate, mm-hmm. and uh, and I loved the contrast 
with uh, character Amy and just her little black outfit, you know. And I thought, well, that plays well, you know, makes her stand out in this whole group. Yeah. Which I, yeah. I, I, I really thought that that worked out well. And then I, I have, a, I made a couple of other notes about um, Willow. I all her her jeans. I, I purchased those at Saks. Those were one hundred sixty-five dollars. I wish I could tell you where the little poodle top for Anya came from. I haven't found it yet. If I ever do, I'll have to swing back and let you know. But I just thought that was so cute on her. She, she's just adorable. And uh, basically, what I found out when I dig into my archives is just about everything that Giles wears, wears, excuse me, comes from Neiman Marcus. So he's okay. he's well dressed. He he always. Uh, you know, he wears it well. And it was so funny. I was just watching uh, the Netflix show, Ted Lasso. And there he is. There's Anthony. I was oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh. There he is. <laughs> yeah. That was great. <laughs> and uh, uh, the vampires in this episode, I laughed when I looked at it. And basically everything that I added to them came from Macy's, Macy's menswear. <laughs> so, okay. so, uh, so I thought, you know, didn't spend a lot of money on them. And I loved uh, one little note I made to, made to myself. I loved just the simple thing at the end of the episode with Sarah in the white mock turtleneck, and they do a kind of a close up of her. And I yeah. loved. I just thought, oh, look at that! The, you can really see the texture in her sweater, and it was just so pretty at the end. And but then at the very end of the episode, boy, did this bring back a memory! It was it was quite funny. Um, when Principal Wood um, mm. sees his mother at the end yes. of the episode in a flashback. Okay. <laughs> this is a good story. Uh, when I was told that, oh, you know what? We're bringing back, you know, his mother from a previous season in the show. Mm. And, you know, I only did the final season of the show. So, right. you know, I wasn't really privy, privy to everything you know, that went before me and, you know, and that's six seasons of, you know, television there. So that's a lot right. to dig through, but I tried to figure out like, well, where did her out, you know, they wanted to match her outfit. They said, Oh, we have to, you know, it has to match. It has to match what she wore before. And they were, you know, so definite about that. And, and I thought, okay, well, and I remember going to Western costume out in the San Fernando Valley one morning at seven o'clock in the morning, early in the morning oh, to start, digging through because i i did track down that oh i think it came from western costume so i'm like digging and you just i as well i'll just say it for everybody out there western costume is huge i mean there there are tons of clothes there so to try to find something is not very easy so I kept digging and digging. And, you know, it's not my favorite thing to do, I'll have to tell you. It's to <laughs> go into imagine, an yeah. old, dirty, dirty costume house and have to dig <laughs> through all these old clothes. And, you know, you come out, you know, if you showered that morning, you better shower again before you go into work. Because, you know, I was trying to, you know, you know stay as clean as I could digging through all this dirty stuff. So, you know, finally, I think, oh, my gosh, I think I found it. You know, the little, you know, um, a laced up uh, little ribbed shirt she wears under her leather mm-hmm. jacket. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think, Oh my gosh, you know, I, I, I think I finally found it. And I called in and said, I'm on my way into the studio 
And I, I think it was probably my assistant, Lila, Lila Ross, wonderful girl. I love Lila. She was just terrific. And, you know, she had her little desk outside my office. And uh, I said, Lila, I think I found the, the, the outfit. And she said, well, that's good. She said, but guess what? I said, what? She said, they, they, it's still in the episode. She said, but they've cast a different actress. And oh, no. I said, what? No. I said, what? <laughs> a different actress? So, so I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, a little, well, my, my version of a little stink about this. Because I thought, you know, I've been up digging forever. I'm like, this was so important, you know, to find the exact outfit. So, so I go back into the office and I marched up to the producer's office and I went in and I, ha- I had the outfit with me. And I said, good news. I said, I found the, a- the outfit, you know, for, for this episode. Bad news? The original actress wasn't in it. Because I thought, really? You're going to have me do all of this? I thought, well, maybe they thought I'd dig her up out of Western costume or something. I'm like, what in the world? But anyway, so, but, you know, if if it wasn't the exact outfit, it was pretty damn close. So that was a lot of effort. I love that you did all that, found it, and then. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, bad news is the actress wasn't in the outfit, you know, like if you wanted to find it. You know, so gosh. But anyway, yeah, yeah. So, but that's television. So, you know, but but it all worked out well. You know, you know, you know, she she looked pretty much like the original actress. So, so, yeah. So that that worked out well. But that that's what I, that's really pretty much what I remember about that episode. You know, I I just had little notes in my script when I found my original shooting script, which was dated. December the 9th, uh, 2002. And it just told, told me, like, I just made little notes to myself. Oh, you know, Anthony works on Wednesday, and then uh, the actress who was playing Amy works on Thursday. And just little kind of long, nondescript notes like that. You know, we were shooting something on stage two on Friday. I found that <laughs> on the 20th of December. <laughs> so right right before Christmas, you know. So, but, but that's pretty much what I remember about... Um, uh this episode the killer in me so all right cool um matt it is always a pleasure thank you for joining us well thank you so much okay uh now uh favorite outfit rosa oh i was gonna ask if i could say one other thing before favorite outfit but that's fine i won't it's that's that's okay no i just like i just think it's crazy that we're on a that we don't bring up how like the weird trans stuff in this one but that's probably too big of a, a thing anyway no, I feel like we can. I feel like that's a good thing to, to mention. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I, that was just my reading of it, but there's one thing that just stood out that I felt like I need to say something about, and you can all cut this if you know. There's two two lines that I believe. Uh, one, one Willow says, one Kennedy says, but I believe it's Kennedy where it says, "No one would ever accuse you of being too butch when she's a man." And also the murderous misogynistic man is how she calls Warren later on. And I do think that there's like a very interesting thing, like given that this is the early 2000s where this like obviously Warren's a bad guy. You don't want to be Warren, but there's a really interesting way of like how like pretty much a room full of like like women kind of get to talk about like about masculinity and about like magic and masculinity, which I think is just really it comes off a little weird and off-putting and dated to me. Um, but there's like a really interesting 
moment in some of that where it's like, well, like this whole idea of becoming a man is this like terrifying, horrible thing. And like on its own and not in the confines of being Warren. And it's, I think that there's interesting, very small moments of it. Um, And just how this episode is shot where she turns kind of back and forth between him is just like a very interest. Like I think through a queer narrative, there's like a lot of interesting stuff there. I'm not even sure if I'm the one to break it down, but I was, I was fascinated by it. That's all I'll say. (laughs) No, I mean, I definitely picked up on the first, the butch line. Like when I was watching with my friends, we paused it and we've talked about this with some of our like Twitter friends who identify, you know, as like a butch lesbian. And they were like, it's annoying when the show, it's like clearly no one who's an actual, like in the sapphic community because Willow and Tara are not butch. Will and Kennedy are not butch. And there's a lot of historical meaning with that word. And so even when it's used in once more with feeling, what do you mean in this one? What do you mean? Like it's not right. And so I noticed that. And I do think that like the trans reading of it is definitely us looking back with a lens today and we can I don't know again either if I'm the one to give like a deep breakdown but I totally am happy you said something because I can see how that's just like dated and doesn't work well but yeah I I definitely think that like someone who just is like what are lesbian words butch and <laughs> lipstick like that's how it comes off to me whenever they talk about being butch on the show I'm like shut up <laughs> I mean yeah, that's just I, a point I, that's a totally fair reading <laughs> <A column. laughs> Um, but favorite clothes you say, um, yeah. So mine is going to be just one thing that I saw and I couldn't unsee, um, in the final scene where, um, Willow is walking back, like they're, she's like, I'm tired. And then, um, I think they're like, there's like a callback where it's like, let me make you some tea, but they're, they're behind. And it's pretty, I thought it's pretty clear that, um, Willow is wearing red bottom Louboutins. Like the yes, bottoms of her is. shoes are red. And I was 100%. like, no, that's my favorite outfit. <laughs> that's my favorite. I'm going to call it as Willow for whatever reason. Like it just seems so unlike her. It's a, a wild, like just a weird wild choice. And they're so bright red that you see it so, so quickly in the end of that scene. So that is my, that's my favorite. I've decided that that's it. I can't believe I didn't notice that. That's wild. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's funny because they have her, they don't, it's like, yeah, like you said, it doesn't match. But in season five, they do that. When she has, like, a little soft butch look that I do love, when she has, like, the turtleneck and the, like, green plaid, and she's got, like, jeans on, and then she has, like, st- black stilettos on at the, like, bottom, and it's like, wait, why would you wear that with this outfit? Um, So, yes, I, uh, Liv, what was your favorite outfit in this episode? Hilariously, I had also um, noted that. I was like, why the fuck is Willow in Louboutins? Hello? <laughs> She must have been sinking into that set that in the ground. Weird <laughs> choice. It was very confused. Um, but to give something else, I, I didn't bring this up earlier, but uh, did anyone else notice that Sarah Michelle Geller clearly had a cold? Yes. Like clearly. Her voice sounded hot. Oh yeah. She, she definitely did. Like yeah. her voice was not correct. So in honor of that, her skinny scarf, which I know is a fashion statement, but I'm going to say that she had it on the entire episode was due to Sarah Michelle Gellar having a slight cold and <laughs> needing the scarf. So she also drinks tea in an early scene too. Yeah. So I think she was maybe just struggling. <laughs> Dana, what was your favorite outfit? I'm going to go with Amy's all black witchy co-ed look. She did so look true. Mm. Was that was that a live as a fashion expert? Was that a maxi dress? What was like? 
I feel like I can't picture it. All I can think of is that it was tight around her boobs and she had on one of those giant necklaces that they love to give the witch characters (laughs) at all times. Those like circular pendants. Um, Yeah, yeah, wasn't it like a big crystal or something? It was a huge crystal. It was like brown, like huge circular crystal. So they have the big glowing purple crystals when they're all, like I don't think it's a continuity error, but when they're all like doing a ritual together, they're all wearing like big like Mm -hmm. uh, crystals. But then when she is talking to... uh, um, like later when she when she's just talking in scene, she's wearing like a hideous big chunky necklace, and I do respect yeah, her for both. <laughs> bad. Uh, Dana. Oh, that was me. I told you. That. Oh, right, that was Jesus. Right, <laughs> I was like, oh, Ian. My brain is mush. Um, I think my uh, y'all gonna roll your eyes at me, but my favorite was I like Kennedy and the suspenders. I think she looks cute. I don't think everyone I like can pull the suspenders. Off. Right, I don't think everyone can pull them yeah. off, but when you can, they look cute. Um, I think I think fashion designers think lesbians wear suspenders way more than we actually do. <laughs> uh, True. I'm gonna go buy suspenders. <laughs> you should. Uh, favorite scene, Liv. Um, oh, it's like okay, okay. Two things. One, anytime Anya speaks, the episode was infinitely better. So I <laughs> just any scene that Anya was in, I loved, and then. If I had to, like, the specific lesbidar part of that bar scene. Like, just getting to see, like, queer women laugh, I'm all for. <laughs> uh, Rosa, favorite scene? Um, I'm going to pick a real small scene in this. Um, okay. But there's, at one point, and it's just, like, a cutaway to Giles uh, at the campsite. Um, and he, <laughs> they have instructed Giles to be like, you might, ha- you might be evil. Act that right. way. And it's just him sit- seated in front of a fire, like, staring almost directly to camera for a couple seconds, being like, am I evil? And it's, <laughs> it's so funny because it's just, like, like he's a great actor, don't get me wrong, but there's something right. about that character doing like a spooky evil face that it is a chef's kiss. It's a small moment in there. And they play like silly sinister music as he's looking at Yeah, it's like a spooky time. music. Yeah. Also, there's it none of the girls so there uh, because, yeah. again, they couldn't afford them. So it's just him seated by himself by a fire. Yeah. It's totally out <laughs> of nowhere. Uh, favorite scene, Dana? Um, I'm struggling with this. I am going to say right now, um, Buffy and Willow and tea in the kitchen. Okay, fair. That is, I, that was tied for my favorite choice. That is, you know what that is (laughs) (laughs) for me? It was that scene or the, uh, living room when everyone's like seeing Willow as Warren. Um, just because as Liv said, anytime Anya's on screen, they underuse her so much, but Emma Caulfield is just so good that like she steals so many scenes in season seven, even though they give her character like next to nothing to do. Anytime we get to see her like basically like annoyed at everyone because of the plot, I enjoy her. Um, Selfless stands rise. Right. Um, Grade. What grade do you give this episode, Dana? Well, this one gets a C from me, my friend. Ooh. uh, Rosa, what grade do you give it? Um, I'm, I think I'm going to give it a C minus. Ooh. It's maybe even, maybe that's too mean. I just, <laughs> I think it falls flat in a, in just like a couple too many places. Liv? D, if the, the, this is in my personal Buffy bottom top five, if I was supposed to be satisfied with this as Willow's grieving process finished, I am not. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I love Anya. Yeah. 
yes you know what i i give it a i give it a c plus that's like and that's uh as dana knows for me that's pretty harsh for a buffy episode i normally am always an a or a b Um, yeah i think this is one of our lowest rated ones i think it probably is even like beer bad after we watching it and doing our drunk episode i was like wait this isn't that bad this is at least fun um this episode doesn't have much fun um thank you all for (laughs) joining me thank you all for listening uh, if you want to find the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Feel free to subscribe. And if you would like us, give us a nice rating. Um, and if you want to support us on Patreon, you can find us over there. We get access to a bunch of bonus episodes. We're currently going through Harley Quinn, having a bunch of Watch Club episodes. Um, and we do My Nudy Judy, which is a sex talk series, which Liv was on for one month. Um, and if you want to follow, find SlayerFest98 on social, we are at SlayerFestX98. If you want to follow me, I am at IanXCarlos. Liv, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Willow Rosenboob, talking really less depressing thoughts about Buffy, sometimes sad, but like happy, positive, funny, uh, gay things. Liv has like the best Twitter handle. Um, Thank Rosa, you. where can everyone find you? Um, I'm at Human Comedian, and I also technically run the uh, at Psychic Friends uh, Twitter, though we don't post that much. We're a podcast. It's Friends with a Z. Um, technically, I also run that. So follow me on either. Like, technically, <laughs> uh, I, we we just we I barely post, but I like I like to. Div- I'm I'm Human Comedian on everything else. <laughs> Dana, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dana Pickley, two C's and one L. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.